Kim. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. You eat a chicken sandwich? This is the Press Box. The best is their chicken minis, which are these little small rolls that they have butter all over them and like a chicken nugget inside of it, and they're delicious. I got to get out more, man. I have a slice of wheat toast. With Grainy and Bischoff. I got to get out more. On ESPN Las Vegas. Do you have some of those little chickens today? I actually just had a chicken biscuit this morning. I didn't go with the What's chicken What's the difference? Minis. Well, it's a whole biscuit with like a chicken breast. Like a chicken breast inside Small of like? Small chicken breast, yeah. Chicken minis are just little nuggets and little tiny rolls. So it's like a chicken sandwich just in a biscuit. Yes. It's All delicious. Right. Do you have another granola bar? No, nah, I skipped it. I, I'm, I'm, no I'm, breakfast? I'm empty. I'm empty. Oh, oh you're going to be starving the, the by tank, 10 o'clock. The tank is empty. Oh, that's not a good yeah. plan. Be I, sleeping if I don't by eat 10 o'clock. Before, <laughs> if I don't eat before the show, it's <laughs> a like, rough end of the show. You got to get the hell out of here. O'clock. Are you kidding me? Be hunched over. Danny will be taking over. <laughs> Danny? Yep. Just to, before we go, update on your shakes this month? Uh, No, January 7th was the last day they had the shakes, so... <laughs> I got a I got a couple what, in that week. Shakes? Yeah, yeah. So I got a couple in that week, and I don't think I've been back to Chick Fil A since. I'm like ninety really? percent sure when I was just there, they had a sign still up that said peppermint shakes. Oh, everything I everything I googled said it was I done mean, on the seventh. I mean, maybe they just didn't take it down at that it location. Could be that. But you're my, googling these things now. I'll have to stop by there today <laughs> to find out. You're oh googling? yeah, he's got oh, yeah. he's got calendar alerts in his phone. <laughs> I I do. <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> From Chick-fil-A? Yeah. In November, I set up an alert on my calendar to let me know when the peppermint shake got here. <laughs> wow. Dude, it is good. It is good. It is good. The first bite. How did UNLV get blown out by Boise State? Six straight loss to the Broncos, I believe. That's a weird stat. I believe it's the sixth it straight loss. It is. To the Kruger's Broncos. 0-3, and Otzelberger lost his last three yeah. before he left. Uh, How the yeah. hell did they lose by 18 last night? I was watching, and I didn't see much defense most of the night. <laughs> I didn't see them play much defense. So, and if the other team's going to hit 14 threes, Tyler, on the road, I don't think there's much of a chance for the home team. So that was UNLV's worst offensive game of the season and, and wasn't particularly close, right? They've had a couple other games where the defense was uh, not great, but was still passable. Last night was their worst game of the season. Gave up a season high in points, gave up a season high in points per possession. Boise State made 14 of 26 threes in that game. And here's what I thought was interesting about UNLV's defensive performance. They got torched. Some of it was laziness. There were back-to-back plays in the second half where EJ Harkless just didn't rotate. He didn't rotate and help. Like UNLV's yeah. entire defensive identity right. is built on the help side, right? right? And they, they want to clog the paint with bodies, right. make it really hard for you to get Lips. a layup. And for whatever reason, back-to-back possessions, Harkless just didn't rotate down to take away a guy in the paint and there was a drop-off pass and a layup. Some of it was not being just good enough. Like UNLV got beat off the dribble in that game more than they probably have in any game this season, which when you talk about the help side defense and not being in position and all that, if you don't get beat off the dribble, you don't need the help side, right? right? Obviously you're not going to, you're going to get beat off the dribble in every game sometimes, but if you, for the most part, stay in front of your guy, you're never going to They didn't do a good job of that all night. Terrible at it. I mean, they got beat off the dribble by everybody last night 
And then, so you, so you throw those two things in together, where it's probably their worst performance staying in front of ball handlers. They weren't, and it wasn't just Harkless, but he had the two that really stood out to me. But you have guys that are just not rotating when they're supposed to be rotating. And then you throw in sort of the schematic edge that Boise State ultimately had in that game, where UNLV's help side defense, when they do get beat off the dribble, it leaves three-point shooters open. Because again, the, the entire point of the scheme is to flood the paint with bodies. But what that means is there's guys on the outside. And the, the slight difference in Boise State and most of the other teams UNLV has played, Boise State has five shooters on the floor at all time. Their tallest player in their starting lineup is six foot seven. It's uh, Dagenhart, right? They don't play with like a true center. They play with five guys that can shoot. And so Boise State, for large portions of that game, had five guys around the perimeter. Somebody gets beat off the dribble. Here comes a help side defender. Kick it out. Guys open. Major three. three. And when you get beat off the dribble in UNLV's defense, it makes it harder to defend the three. When you get beat off the dribble against a team that's playing with five guys on the perimeter, you've basically Especially got no Especially ones who can make shots. Right. It, your only hope at that point is that the other team just misses, misses a bunch shots. of threes. And Boise State didn't miss a bunch of threes no. last night. So th- to me, there were three real big factors. Guys being lazy or not focused, whatever you want to say. Guys just simply not being good enough and getting beat off the dribble. And then the scheme, when you combine those first two things, the scheme is going to get torched. And it's not that Kevin Kruger should change his defensive scheme in the middle of a game because they've been a great defense and they've been a great defense running that type of scheme. But that scheme's not going to work when guys get beat off the dribble and when their help side is not very But good. they haven't been a great defense in the Mountain West, and I think that's a big part of why they're 1-3. and three. So if you go by just points per possession, they played 12 non-conference games. Only three of those 12 teams got over one point per, per possession, possession, which is about the college average every year. They've played four Mountain West games. All four Mountain West opponents have been over one point per possession. You look at... You know, New Mexico, they're a really good offensive team, right? Like, so if New Mexico scores over one point per possession, you're not really looking back and saying, oh, we struggled in that one. That's fine. San Diego State, they're better defensively, but they're still a pretty good offensive team. You're not going to be too concerned. But San Jose State's not top 100 in offense, and Boise State's not top 100 in offense. For UNLV to give up more than one point per possession in those two games, and specifically 1.23 last night, which is an insane number. That's just that's just not for a team that is supposed to be built on defense for a team that's identity is supposed to be, hey, how good are we defensively? You just you cannot have that against Boise State. You cannot have that type of performance and have any chance to win whatsoever. And once again, we saw from E.J. Harkless spurts and then non spurts. And he I've never I can't remember a kid who. In, in different halves, they're such a different player. Now, he only shot 5 of 18 from the field, so that wasn't good. 0 for 4, 0 for 4 from 3, played 31 minutes. But the hot and cold uh, issues with him are, are standing out to me each game. So I think what we saw in that game is UNLV's path to victories and also how UNLV like doesn't win another game the rest of the year. Because the first half of that game, EJ Harkless was not good at all, right? EJ Harkless, what did he have? Four points at halftime yeah. or something like that. But what did you, UNLV got nine points from Jordan McCabe in the first half. Yeah. He got seven points from Justin from Webster. Justin Weber. David Milwaukee scored. Uh, Carl Jones came in and Carl Jones had a put back dunk. Like 
UNLV in the first half had the lead, too, at halftime. Their role players played really well in the first half. And if you're going to, if EJ Harkless is going to be your best player, and you know most nights you're going to get, you know, 10 to 20 minutes of him not playing very well and then 10 to 20 minutes of him playing really well. Those when he's not playing well, you need other guys. You need Webster to fill it in. And you need McCabe. And in the first half they did and that's how UNLV is going to win a lot of games is if hey, Harkless isn't playing well at the moment. So Jordan McCabe or Justin Webster or it's been Luis Rodriguez in the past. Some of the role players have good offensive performances. And then here comes EJ Harkless with his, you know, his second half explosion. Of, yeah, eight minutes where he's right. just going to make everything right. that he throws in. But the problem for UNLV is that didn't really happen in the second half. Harkless had like a, there was like a five possession stretch where he scored on, I think, three or four of the possessions. But that was it. Like, it, it didn't really come in the second half. And I don't think McCabe scored in the second half. Webster knocked Webster down a couple had threes. But a couple threes. Like, it just, it never came for Harkless in the second half. And. The role players, you're not, you're not going to get Jordan McCabe scoring nine points in the first and then nine more in the second. Yeah. Like, if that's your plan to win, you're not going to win. So we saw the first half is that that's what they need when Harkless isn't very good for a half. But then Harkless also has to be good for the other half for them to have any chance to win against the top, you know, four or five teams in the conference. Yeah, I mean, and, and I see down here, uh, it's a good note by you. Should Should he play five guards? Given the, let's say, neither lack of rebounding from Iwaku and Mwaka. So, UNLV's two losses to San Diego State and Boise State. Defensively, they've gotten exposed at the center position. Because San Diego State, they did it by setting a screen and then just shooting a three. Because UNLV switches every screen. They'd set the screen and then Iwaku or Mwaka would get switched onto Matt Bradley. Right. And they'd give him a little bit of space because they didn't want to get driven by. And Bradley just took the threes. Yes. And that's how San Diego State sort of exposed the switch every screen and, hey, there's the center. Boise State did it last night by just driving around him, right? They got a they, they hunted Victory Waco in the second half. When he was in the game, they were like, come get a ball screen and we're going at Victory Waco. And if Iwako can't guard a guard on the perimeter, he doesn't have a role on this team. Like, his role on the team is he's an athletic defensive player. And the problem for UNLV, though, is if those two guys are going to be exposed defensively by other teams hunting them, they don't do anything on the offensive end. Neither one of those guys is scoring. No. And neither one's a particularly good rebounder for a center. What's their value to the team? Seven points in a combined 36 minutes with eight rebounds. In a combined 36 minutes between them. Right. Like, wh- what's that What's that position's value to this team if they're getting hunted on defense? There's not much there. And so you look at the lineup and say, okay, do we need to change? Because if you're going to switch all screens, you might be better off with five guards because then they can't hunt a big on the right. perimeter. Now, for against some teams, you're going to get posted up and you're going to give up some layups on that end. Um but that might be better. The issue, though, with Eli Parquet still injured, yeah, I don't know that they have a better option. Do they have? A, yeah, exactly. Who comes off? Who comes right. off and replaces? It's like so. You know, then it becomes Jordan McCabe gets a lot more minutes in a five guard lineup. Last night he was good in the first half, but he didn't do anything in the second half. So it's there's not really a great option. It's not like they've got a really good guard who's sitting on the bench that's like, oh, you got to find more minutes it's for the him. Golden Knights for Phil Kessel. Right. There's no one behind him. So I, I 
in a perfect world, the roster would be a little bit better and you could potentially go to some five guard lineups, uh, not, not for an entire game, but for, you know, big chunks of games. But I just don't think it's good enough. Once they get Parquet back, then you can make a pretty good argument for Harkless, Gilbert, Parquet, Webster, and Luis Rodriguez is, hey, that's sort of a five-guard lineup that you can run out there. But until then, you just kind of have to suck it up and say, hey, we need Victory Waco to be better. We need him to to be a better defender when he gets switched on the other team's guards. And he wasn't last night. So we'll see what happens into the future. But that's... uh. Some problems for UNLV's defense that ultimately, if we go back to the to the main problem, it's getting beat off the dribble. If yeah. they don't get beat off the dribble so much but last everyone night. everyone beat them off the dribble right. last night. And that's the thing, is it wasn't just like, oh, Harkless had a bad game, or right. oh, they exposed Iwako. It was Keyshawn Gilbert getting beat right. off the dribble. It was everybody on that team. And that's, I'd say it's bizarre and not a good sign, but also it's unlikely they're that bad defensively again. I mean, they'll probably have one more game, but it's unlikely that they do that. Well, six in a row. When do they play at Boise? <laughs> February 19th, okay. I think it was. So right. we got a little ways away. But like, it was so bad, and we've seen them much better that it's it's unlikely they're that bad very many more times this year. So they should be better defensively, even without changing much. But We'll see if Kevin Kruger does actually have to go to anything significantly different. All right, coming up next, we'll jump into the Raiders because Josh McDaniels, not uh, the greatest first-year head coach this season. I think there's pressure every year to do the best you can do. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's that's what my mindset will be. Uh, that's what it was, and I think that's what our team and our staff and our organization will will be thinking about as we go forward. Um, I mean, to put any more pressure on is, I mean, there's a, we, we want to do as good as we can do, and that's clear and obvious. So um, we know what the standard is, and we're going to try to do everything we can to, to get closer to it, you know, and that's, that's every day, uh, and that process has already begun. So um, our offseason's begun, and so um, every way we can make it better, we're going to try to do that. Um, and I don't know any, any – there's nothing else I could ask of our, of our people here in the, in the building other than to do everything they can every day while they're here to try to make us better so we can be competing for, for championships as we move forward. So, um, you know, we all know what the what the goal is. We all understand what, what we signed up for. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is The Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. All right, I got to read you a tweet that Ian Rappaport just tweeted out. Sources. The Raiders will begin the process of evaluating the trade market for Derek Carr. What have they been doing Wait, for the last three they weeks? They haven't already. <laughs> what do you mean they're beginning the process? That was the whole point of benching him yeah. like three weeks ago. I can't believe they're just starting the process. <laughs> Why? I, I I can't believe that they just thought about this when they benched him. I'm sure they had in their mind that they were going to try to trade him first. I mean, yes, yeah, I can't believe that. That's. I mean, good for him tweeting that, but there's no way for three weeks they haven't sat down and said, "Okay, let's let's see what we can get for him." Uh, Dave Ziegler That's woke up this morning and was like, "Man, what if we no, traded this guy?" No, that hasn't <laughs> happened. That that they've been thinking about that before. <laughs> they thought about it. Look, they probably thought about it way before they benched him. I mean, they knew before they benched him that they were going to move on from him, and there's only a few ways to move on from him. Right. So, yeah, I'm sure they've thought about the trade market and what he would be worth on the on the market if he, in fact, accepts a trade. Um, he does have a no trade. But, yeah, I'm sure they're going to look for trade options. <laughs> they just started. All right. 
Here's a question for you. How much should we judge Josh McDaniels against other first-year head coaches? Um, this is a tough one because everyone's in a different situation. Everyone's in a different position. Everyone has different rosters. Everyone has different um, things that happen to their teams throughout the year in terms of injuries. So I know it's easy to do in terms of, okay, all these guys are first-year coaches, so let's, let's see what their records were. I don't know if it's fair to just, you know, black and white right down the middle say, okay, this guy went to the playoffs, so he's better than him, and this guy didn't, so he's worse than him. Um, but it is what we do in this business. We compare and contrast, and these guys were all first-year coaches, so I guess there's some validity to it. Ten first-year head coaches. Uh, two got fired, Lovey Smith and Nathaniel Hackett. Five of the ten are in the postseason. Mike McDaniel, Brian Dable, Doug Peterson, Kevin O'Connell, and Todd Bowles. Three did not make the playoffs or get fired. Dennis Allen in New Orleans, uh, Matt Eberflus in Chicago. So if we're looking at, uh, you know, in each coach's situation that they took over, did any of those guys take over a playoff team and then add the best receiver in football? Uh, not that I know. No, they did not. <laughs> like, so if you like, if Todd you, Bowles added the greatest quarterback he did. ever lived. He did. But, and the, and the bucks aren't very good. So right. <laughs> they made the playoffs, right. but they're not very good. Uh, like if you go through that, like you can say maybe Kevin O'Connell in Minnesota, uh, inherited a pretty good scenario. Granted, right. they won a whole bunch of one score. Yeah, games. they got a lot of close games, a lot of right. close wins. The, the Vikings are are kind of like the Raiders, except they won all of their close games mm-hmm. instead of splitting them. Right. They're they're not that much better than the Raiders. Um, you know, Doug Peterson inherited potentially a franchise quarterback. We'll see how good Trevor Lawrence is in the future. Also in a bad division. Uh Brian Dable, I think, does Brian Dable and Mike McDaniel, I think, yeah. deserve a ton of credit for taking over what was maybe not the greatest overall rosters and getting a ton out, out of, of them. them. Yes. Um, and both of those guys are in the playoffs. Nathaniel Hackett deserved to be fired. Yes. <laughs> like that was bad. And then we talked yesterday about the Houston Texans. Well, they're a disaster to begin right. with. Right. Like is Lovey Smith a good coach? Probably not. His record in college and the pros suggest he's not right. But that's, that's still probably more about the Texans than it is. Lovey right. Smith. So that's a weird one. And then you look at the other two that didn't get fired, like Josh McDaniels, um, Matt Eberflus in Chicago. Is that the worst roster in the league? I mean, they're getting the number one pick, right? But that's, that's not a good roster. Significantly worse than the Raiders. The saints are probably pretty comparable to what the Raiders were. Uh, quarterback situation was a little less stable coming into the year, but the, the saints were around the same ballpark as the Raiders. The only issue there for Josh McDaniels, if you're comparing him against Dennis Allen, well, he lost 24, he lost 24, nothing. So not ideal. Um, but it, it, it is interesting in like, we talk about this in college sports with, we've, we've done it with Kevin Kruger. Hey, it's year two. When do you expect him to go to the NCAA tournament? We did it with Marcus Arroyo. We're going to do it with Barry Odom in college football transfer portal exists. You can turn things around quickly. There's no, there's no need to be like, ah, it's going to take us three to four years to build something here in the NFL. You can bring in a new head coach to a team that wasn't in the playoffs and turn things around. Now, granted Miami, New York, Jacksonville, Minnesota, Tampa, or any of those teams winning the Super Bowl? No, no. I mean, it's no, it's, no. but they're in the playoffs and you know, Minnesota, Tampa, Jacksonville, they've all got home games in the playoffs. They've got a legitimate chance to be one of the last, uh, what that be eight teams playing in the NFL. So you can absolutely do much better. There's no need for, Hey, we took over a roster that wasn't that good. And we need this whole process of building it up. If you're good, you can do things right away 
in the NFL, and McDaniels did not do things right away right. in the NFL. The other coaching part, um, Vic Tafer tweeted out that Patrick Graham is not getting fired, the defensive coordinator. Raiders this year, you can go, whatever. You should want to use points. They were 26. Yards per play, they were 27th. EPA, they were 30th uh, and 31st, by the way, in defensive uh, passing, I should say, defensive EPA. Does Patrick Graham deserve blame for how bad the defense was? I think he deserves some blame. He's the coordinator. He's the one, you know, uh, he's the one coaching it every day. Um, The roster wasn't very good uh, in terms of what they tried to build there. Um, You know, Chandler Jones was a mistake at this point. Uh, There were some injuries, but yeah, I think he deserves some blame. Uh, To be a fireable offense, I don't know. I'm going to have to sit here and say, guys, he should be fired uh, for specifically, but I do think he deserves a lot of blame as the coordinator uh, for not getting more out of them. I think there's part. So the part that he doesn't deserve blame for, I don't think he deserves blame for Chandler Jones being. No, that's on Chandler Jones. Right. Chandler no, Jones that's on Chandler Jones. Wasn't He didn't have a good game until like week 10 or whatever right. it was. I don't think he deserves blame for like when you look at the roster and the front office said Jonathan Abrams is going to be a starter for us going into week one. That's not on Patrick Graham either. That's on the front office not replacing Jonathan Abram until week eight or whatever it was when they finally cut him. Where I, what I do think is interesting, and I don't know if he deserves blame for this, but you can go through some of the young players on this team. Trayvon Merrick, 2021, Pro Football Focus had him as the 25th best safety. Last year, 83rd, or this year, I should say? This year. 83rd. Nate Hobbs, last year, fifth best corner. This year, 74th. Rakia Sen, Last year, 29th. This year, 52nd. They had a lot of players take significant drops. And that's, you know, pro football focus grades. It's nothing to write in stone. But those are significant regressions from players that you were probably expecting to take a step forward. They did have Deron Harmon, who they signed in free agency. Deron Harmon had a good year. Did have a good year. He went from 68th to 25th. But he was going through the defense. The only player that had, like, a significant jump in pro football focus grades I don't know how much Graham deserves blame for that, but Trayvon Merrig and Nate Hobbs specifically, two secondary guys that people thought, hey, that's a solid NFL starter, and if they can take the step, they might be even more than that. For them to regress to be to the point where they played at a level where they shouldn't be starting, that's a big deal because now how do you evaluate those guys going forward? Mm-hmm. Is Merrig still a starting level safety? Like, was that coaching? Or is he what they saw this year? Right, Like, and was that Patrick Graham's fault? Because if it was... He should be fired because he ruined a starting level safety. If it's not, then you've got to replace Trayvon Merrick because you can't go in the next year and say, we've got the 83rd best safety starting for us. That would be stupid. So I don't know where the blame goes, but Patrick Graham does has, has some players this year that regressed, and that's not really a good sign when young players regress. All right, coming up next, Mike Ramallah joins the show. With 15 on the clock, McCabe to a curling Harkless. In the lane, Harkless bounces to Gilbert. Gilbert double clutch, layup, and a foul. What great body control by Keyshawn Gilbert. Gets the bucket to give the Rebels the lead. And Milwaukee with a rebound. He gives it to Harkless. Harkless going to drive. Harkless all the way down the left side. Puts it up and in. He's never seen a steak that is too gray. He once ate half a box of Cheez-Its for lunch and finished off the other half for dinner. He has eaten exactly one taco in his life. He is Mike Grillmala. Have tacos changed that much since I tried one? 
Joining us now from the Las Vegas Sun is Mike Gramala. All right, Mike, what happened to you and Elvie's defense last night? They got beat by a team that was uh, prepared for it and had scouted them pretty well and had the the personnel to beat them. Um, we know that the kind of defense they want to play, they want to swarm to the ball. They want multiple defenders on the ball. Um, they want to make you panic and throw it away, and Boise State didn't do that. They, when the, the, the help defender came, they just found the open man, and then you know two passes later it was a layup or an open three. So um, that's kind of the blueprint to beat them. If you've got enough ball handlers and shooters and offensively skilled players who aren't going to panic, uh, you're going to be able to get open shots. So we'll have to see how you only adjust from here. Have you seen them in Mountain West Conference play take a step back defensively because uh... – as Tyler pointed out earlier, the points per possession have gone up. I mean, what's happened in Mountain West Conference play defensively that we didn't see in the 10-0 start? I would say it's a couple things. One is the, the scouting. Like I, I pointed out, like these teams are going to scout you, and it'll be much more heavily than an out-of-conference team will. So they know what's coming, and they are going to plan specifically ways to beat it. And two, they, they lost Eli Parquet, who's you know one of their best defenders, if not their best defender. And that's hurt them because, you know, he's not out there to defend on the ball. And he's also forcing them to play their other guys more. And they're losing, um, you know, effectiveness. Uh, E.J. Harkless, Keyshawn Gilbert, those are guys who are more effective when Parquet is out there. When you're sort of stretching them thinner, you see a little bit of slippage on the defensive end. Harkless is not the impact defender he was earlier in the year. Um, we're seeing Keyshawn Gilbert make fewer plays on defense um, so it's a, it's a combination of things, but yeah, the defense is not trending, um, in the right direction. So we'll see parquet should be back, you know, within a, a week or two, I think. So, um, hopefully that can give them some kind of jolt. The last time we talked to you, you mentioned that, uh, you thought UNLV was looking tired at the end of games, their first two mountain West games. And that appeared to be the case last night is, do you think there's actually something to UNLV being tired in the last five plus minutes of games? Absolutely. They're, they're, the guy that they want to be their closer is uh, Harkless. And for whatever reason, um, he has, he's been on this, this path where he has slow first half. And then the second half is just him going nuts, where he is just on the ball, driving, like just pouring himself into every play. And it's hard to play that way because you, you empty the tank and then you look up and there's still eight minutes on the clock. And it's like, yeah, you can cut into the lead and you can maybe to get back in the game. But then Harkless can't really sub out for more than a minute or two because he's the one carrying the comeback, you know. So um, I think Harkless, more than anyone else, has been really stretched thin um, by Parquet's absence. And if you think back, Harkless was also the guy who didn't have an offseason. You know, he... Uh, injured his knee. He didn't practice in the summer. He didn't play on that exhibition trip. So he's the guy who's probably least conditioned on the team among the the regular rotation guys. And they're really asking him to do a lot right now, play a lot of minutes, um, play a lot of defense and carry the offense. So I think you're definitely seeing the effects for him late in games. But when he doesn't get it done offensively or when he struggles offensively shooting uh, and his shots uh, the last few games have been, uh, the volume has been huge, but he hasn't made a lot. You know, who it seems like they just don't have the guys behind him. They'll have, you know, McCabe for a half, Webster for a half, but not that they can really come in and make up the difference. 
Yeah, I, I think we talked about it. Like they, they're not built to win a shootout. And if they've really got three guys they can count on to score, you know, that's Hark, uh, Harkless, Gilbert, and Rodriguez. And if those guys aren't scoring, there's not a lot of backup. Like McCabe played really well last night. You know, he was making shots, and the crowd is getting into it. And then you look at the box score at the end of the night, and he's got nine points, which is good for him. But it's not going to make it. You know. That's not going to win you the game when you give up 84. So, yeah, between that and, um, you know, Jack, they thought they were going to get more out of Jackie Johnson, who's really not giving them any offense. Um, it's really a team that's struggling to, to find points. When one, of the, when one of their three scorers doesn't show up, they have a hard time covering for it. Mike Kamala with us from the Las Vegas Sun. So it's January 11th. This team is still 12-4 and four overall, but they're just 1-3 and three in Mountain West play. Are we going to be talking about the NCAA tournament bubble with this team in a month? I'm going to say yes, because they're, they're probably on the bubble now. They're not in. They're probably like one of those first like 10 or 12 teams that are going to be left out if the season were to end today. And I think you're sort of seeing how the Mountain West is going to unfold. They're going to win some big games. They're going to lose more games. Um, but I think they can maintain that range where they'll at least give you something to be interested about on Selection Sunday. Um, do I think they're going to put together an at-large team that's going to qualify at this point? Probably not. They'd have to win you know, pretty much all their remaining games. But I think there'll be a reason to pay, maybe not for the NCAA tournament, but for the NIT or something like that, I think – you know, after the Mountain West tournament wraps up, there is there will still be interest in the team. There'll still be something to, to talk about. Uh, I have a quick question for you. How much did Bear, uh, Bobby Petrino leave and hurt them all the, overall? Do you think? <laughs> uh, I don't. I, I I like the hire. I like the uh, Brennan Marion. It's a. I I like that they didn't just go with. You know, another coach to fill in. They went with someone who's a completely different philosophy, someone who's got his own style, someone who's exciting. Um, I'm actually kind of more excited for uh, to see what uh, Brennan Marion can do as opposed to the Bobby Petrino offense. Um, it's something we haven't seen a lot of in college football. Um, so I, I think they did pretty well considering it was their second option and it was sort of an emergency hire. So um, and he's going to meet the media today, so we'll be able to ask him some questions about his offense and find out a little bit more. Um, Petrino is definitely more proven. You would pretty much been guaranteed to have a competent offense. Um, but I like the, the upside of the, of the Marion hire. Did Bobby Petrino actually do them a favor with when he left? Cause it's Bobby Petrino. He could have left after like week three, once the season started. That's true. I mean, I always kind of t- uh, tabbed it as a, it's a one year thing. He came back. He was basically just coming back to his priority was to establish his credibility in division one. So that someone else would, feel safe to hire him and it only took him three weeks and he didn't have to coach a game to get it done Um, so a little earlier than i expected but he was never a long-term option at unlv i'm not sure marion is either he's probably if they have a great year this year he's probably gone as well but i think it'll be fun to watch in the meantime how's lucas doing i can hear him every now and then yeah i'm I'm walking my dog right now he's Ah, great he's ah. a yeah, he's doing his thing. Hey, we have to ask you. Last week, we uh, we meant to ask you when you eat things out of a can, <laughs> okay. tuna fish, chicken salad. No. No. Do, do you use metal forks and metal spoons to scoop it out, or do you use plastic? 
I use plastic. It, on purpose? On like pur- you, you don't want to use a metal spoon? Yeah, I, I don't... Um, yeah, I don't want to, for some reason, I don't want to stick a metal fork into the metal can. Because of the Straight taste? Around. Um, no, I actually, now that you ask, I just, I don't know. I just don't, I don't want to do it. So, okay. It, just, to, it turns me off. To give you the explanation for this question, uh, J.R. Starkis, who's going to join us later today, he told us that his wife refuses to eat anything out of a can or any metal container with a metal fork or spoon or whatever, because apparently the metal on aluminum or metal on whatever metal it is gives off some weird taste on the spoon. So if they eat anything that comes out of a can, she uses a plastic fork or spoon. But only out of a can? Right. If it came if it came out of a, you know, pack a bag or some sort, no problem. Eat it with a metal fork. Okay. I, I guess I, I mean I use a, a metal fork most of the time, but that specific scenario you're talking about, which is scooping food out of a can, which I really only do with dog food with your dogs, Tyler. <laughs> I always I, I do use a plastic fork for that. Now that you mention it, um, so maybe, maybe that's a neurosis that I need to acquire, and I just need to switch over to plastic full time. Maybe. All right, he's Mike Gravala from the Las Vegas Sun. Mike, as always, we appreciate. Thank you, it. buddy. Thank you, guys. If my dog ever stops eating, I'm going to have to use... I use a metal spoon in there to get the food out of a I can. Do yeah. If, we if, do the dry food so we scoop it so we don't we don't have metal against metal. Our 14-year-old Shih Tzu has like four teeth left. So, so she's got to go wet. We can't do dry food. She right. can't, she'd have to just right. swallow each one whole. So if she ever stops eating, I'm going to be like, all right, get the plastic spoon out. <laughs> Maybe she's afraid of the plastic spoon in the metal can and go from there. All right. Coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, we'll jump into some UNLV football and what their new offensive coordinator could look like. Quarles in the backfield, in motion. Glass gets it out. What a pass over the hands. There's Quarles. Quarles with the open field, and he's in. Look at this. He has to throw him open. He's covered, but he knows he's going to make a break towards the line of scrimmage and hits Quarles in stride, and Quarles takes care of it from there. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Danny, did you just play an audio highlight from an Alabama A&M football game? Yes, it was Alabama A&M versus Jackson State. So How did you find that? Good for you, Danny. Thank you. That is uh, Gary Quarles is a new running back for UNLV. He is transferring in from Alabama A&M. And Danny found a highlight of Gary Quarles at Alabama. Was that from A&M. last year? No, that was from the uh, COVID year 2020-21 season. Because he played five games last year. So if you would have gotten that, it would have really been a gold star this morning. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't find too much. Uh, I was looking up his highlights, and a lot of the videos I found either had music beds underneath it or somebody talking over the plays. So I just found this one, and it was a pretty good play. It's a nice play. Impressive. Um, I do want to uh, read Derek Carr's or some of Derek Carr's statement because Derek Carr just tweeted out. He just tweeted out a statement, a statement. this morning. Uh, so I actually think the very first sentence is maybe the most telling sentence. Raider Nation, it breaks my heart. I didn't get an opportunity to say goodbye in person. How mad is Derek Carr? At Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler. I think he's really mad. And this whole thing, when we asked him 
about and look you're gonna say this you're not gonna air the dirty laundry i get that and not publicly but when we asked uh i asked josh mcdaniels in his first press conference when he named stidham the quarterback i said you know it must have been a tough conversation he's been here nine years he's been the starting nine years oh he handled it perfectly he handled it well he did this i said i'm thinking no everyone's thinking there's just no way he's way too competitive he loved being the starting quarterback too much that he handled it really well and by the way he sh- probably shouldn't handle it well. He's a quarterback. Right. He's nine year starter. You why? How, who, who's going to stay in there and say, "Oh, I totally agree with this. No problem. I'll leave." Right. No and, one's going to do that. And he didn't. It, he didn't get benched because he was awful. I mean, he was bad against Pittsburgh, but they they didn't bench Derek Carr because we don't think you're very good. No. We want we think Stidham's better. They benched him because of a clause in his contract, and they didn't want him to get hurt in the last two games of right. the season. So it's not like he, he got benched from the job he's had for almost a decade because the front office was a, wanted to trade him or cut him True. and was afraid of him getting hurt. Um, but I do find that first sentence to be maybe the most telling in the entire statement. He goes on to say, you know, talks about how appreciative it he is and uh, how much, how, how many good moments and heartbreaking moments they had said how hard it is to say goodbye. He thanked Oakland. He thanked Las Vegas. He thanked the coaching staffs because he's had about 47 of them uh, since he's been there. And then he finished it up with this paragraph. I once said that if I'm not a Raider, I would rather be at home. And I meant that, but I never envisioned it ending this way. That fire burning inside of me to win a championship still rages a fire. No man can extinguish only God. So I look forward to a new city and a new team who, no matter the circumstance, will get everything I have. Winning a championship is what I've always wanted and what I will continue to work towards. You take anything away from his comments about the next team he's going to play for? No, I I take, and people are going to go back to, we've talked about this before, the statement that he was always going to be Raider, and if not, he wasn't going to play. And I don't think you or I ever believed that because... Guys are too competitive in this world in terms of that league, and he wasn't going to leave that much money on the table, and nor should he. Um, so I don't think anyone bought into that, and I'm not going to rip him for that. Guys say things, and then they go back on it because the obvious reasons. Um, so, no, I don't. I, I, I am not shocked at all he's continuing to play. I wonder, when he says... Winning a championship is what I've always wanted and will continue to work for. When he says that fire burning inside of me to win a championship still rages. This is a quarterback with a no trade clause, meaning if the Raiders come up with a trade situation, uh, he can reject it or accept it. And this is a quarterback who on, I think it's February 15th is the deadline this year. Uh, If the Raiders cut him, they don't owe him any more money, but then he's a completely free agent can go wherever he wants. And if the Raiders don't cut him, then, well, he's getting paid by him. But this is a quarterback who, in a way, controls where he goes through his no-trade yes, clause. Yes. And then... Or if he gets cut. If he gets cut. And I wonder if... I wonder how hard Derek Carr will push back on trades if he thinks the team the Raiders are trying to trade him to can't win a championship. Like, if... if we, I've thrown out the Jets a lot. But, like, if they came to an agreement with the Jets, the Jets wanted to trade for Carr... The Raiders were like, we love the compensation you're sending back. Let's go ask Derek Carr. Would Derek Carr sit down and say, that team is not winning a championship soon. I'm not going there. Uh, Ten years into the league, he probably would. It's not two years in the league. Ten years into the league, he probably would. And he'd probably try to pick and choose his team, uh, the one he believes would win. It's just like what we've talked about with Brady. 
Everyone says he's coming to the Raiders. I don't think Tom Brady's going to look at the roster of the Raiders and think they're going to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. So that's, I think, a curious point that the Raiders will pretty much have to take into account when they make when a they trade. Look, look for trade opportunities. And could hurt their leverage a little bit. Uh, I don't know how public it'll get out if it's like, hey, the Raiders and Jets agreed to a compensation, but Carr rejected it. I don't know if we'll ever get that type of detail. Um, but and, and listen, he Carr might look at the Jets and might be like, good defense, Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, some decent skill. Like we can we can do something there. He might look at the Jets and say, yeah, that could work. Um, and you know maybe it's like the Carolina Panthers, and he's like, nope, we're not winning anything in Carolina, right. so I'm not going there. I'm I'm just curious how picky he will be because in reality, anybody that's trading for a quarterback is gonna appear to be a ways away from winning something, mm-hmm. right? The teams sure. that can win the Super Bowl. Have quarterbacks. Have a quarterback. So, you know, the Jets might actually be the best option of teams that would be interested in Carr, right? It might be, hey, the Jets have a legitimate shot at uh, winning something or have the best shot, I should say, at winning something and of the teams that are interested in Carr. So I'm curious how picky he'll be because that statement makes it sound like he'll be very picky and he won't be playing in like Houston anytime soon.